What does it take to reset, to be at the top of your game, to be really achieving something, to have gained recognition and be willing to put that aside, step away from that and move and reinvent yourself, figure out the next worthy goal, the next ambition to have. Welcome to Two Pages with MBS, the podcast where brilliant people read the best two pages from a favorite book. I'm Michael Bungay-Stanya, the aforementioned MBS. And today's guest is a woman who has worked through those cycles of achievement and walking away and starting again and reinventing herself and finding the next peaks to climb. She is Octavia Godamer and she had a great career in England. In fact, she was awarded an MBE. This is something that the queen literally gives you for her work in helping black women in business. But she left England, moved to LA, started the 2010 agency, and she's now a career coach making it big in LA. She's got a book coming. It's a secret book. We can't tell you yet what the title is, but it's a career book for underrepresented women. She's the uh, host or the co-host of a podcast for Harvard Business Review. She's really making it. And I so admire her willingness to rethink, hold ambitions, and strive after the next goal that she has. As a career coach, she actually works with people in entertainment. I mean, she's in LA after all. And the book she's chosen reflects that. It's written by Shonda Rhimes. Shonda Rhimes, of course, is responsible for hit shows like Grey's Anatomy, How to Get Away with Murder, and Scandal. However, it was by chance that Octavia learned about Shonda's book at all. I was reading Hollywood Reporter, and they had this huge article interviewing Shonda. And so I read it and I was mesmerized. And the reason I was mesmerized was because of how honest she was. As you can imagine, Octavia's a busy woman. She's writing a book of her own and she's dealing with the struggles that come with such an endeavor. I appreciate that as a book writer myself. But that article she read stuck with her. And as a woman of color, Octavia was thrilled at the prospect of reading the work of another writer of color, one who was so very successful. But while she kind of expected to read the typical Hollywood gloss, Octavia found something very different. At the start of this year, I I found a window and I ordered it and I sat and I read it and I read it in 26 hours. The authenticity and honesty that I got a glimpse into in that Hollywood Reporter article is here from cover to cover. So there we go, cover to cover in 26 hours. I've had a few books that have gripped me like that, but it's it's hard to say totally engrossed by a book the whole way through. So this is obviously some book. Now, the book itself, The Year of Yes, has an interesting story about how it came to be. The whole book is centered on a year that Shonda devoted to saying yes to things that scared her. And that was prompted after an unexpected telling off from her sister while they were making Thanksgiving dinner when her sister Dolores said to her, you never say yes to anything. And that really caused Shonda to not just think in that moment, but she spent weeks actually really reflecting on what her sister said and just realized, oh my goodness, I'm unhappy and I need to do something about it. But running alongside this, she was the epitome of success. And her success came from her ability as a writer. Okay, so it's time for Octavia to read the two pages she chose, and you'll get a peek inside what it's like writing for hit television in her text. 
But after that, you'll discover how deeply it impacted Octavia's own experience as an author. Here's Octavia Gordema reading The Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. Grey's Anatomy was my first real job in television. Having a show I created be my first real TV job meant that I knew nothing about working in TV when I began running my own show. I asked every TV writer I bumped into what this job was like and what being in charge of a season of a network television drama was like. I got loads of great advice, most of which made clear that every show was a very different specific experience. With one exception, every single writer I met likened writing for television to one thing, laying track for an oncoming speeding train. The story is the track and you've got to keep laying it down because of the train. That train is production. You keep writing, you keep laying track down no matter what because the train of production is coming toward you no matter what. Every eight days, the crew needs to begin to prepare a new episode. Find locations, build sets, design costumes, find props, plan shoots. And every eight days after that, the crew needs to film a new episode. Every eight days. Eight days to prep, eight days to shoot, eight days, eight days, eight days, eight days. Which means every eight days that crew needs a brand new script. And my job is to damn well provide them with one. Every eight days. That train of production is a coming. Every eight days, that crew on that soundstage better have something to shoot because the worst thing you can do is halt or derail production and cost the studio hundreds of thousands of dollars while everyone waits. That is how you go from being a TV writer to being a failed TV writer. So I learned to lay track quickly, artfully, creatively, but as fast as freaking lightning. Lay some fiction onto it, smooth some story into that gap, nail some imagination around those edges. I always feel the heat of the speeding train on the backs of my thighs, on the heels of my feet, on my shoulder blades and elbows, on the seat of my pants as it threatens to run me down. But I don't step back and let the cool wind hit my face as I watch the train speed by. I never step back. Not because I can't, because I don't want to. That is not the gig. And for me, there is no better gig on the face of the earth. The adrenaline, the rush, the, I call it the hum. There's a hum that happens inside my head when I hit a certain writing rhythm, a certain speed. When laying track goes from feeling like climbing a mountain on my hands and knees to feeling like flying effortlessly through the air, like breaking the sound barrier. Everything inside me just shifts. I break the writing barrier and the feeling of laying track changes, transforms, shifts from exertion into exaltation. What a wonderful description of clicking into gear. <laughs> you know, that sense of, what is it, exertion to exaltation? What a fantastically phrased uh, comment that is. Of course, you imagine, I can imagine her writing this with the production train of book writing behind her as well. But she does have a turn of phrase. What, what, what made you pick these two pages in partic particular, Octavia? So when I read those two pages, I literally stopped 
and just sat still for like two <laughs> minutes because yeah. I was reading this book while procrastinating on my book. Right? And I was struggling with, as someone who was writing a book for the first time, that climbing up a mountain part that Shonda talked about, mm. where I would spend what felt like hours and hours kind of scrambling around. And then at some point, I wish I could bottle it or pinpoint at what point it is, but some point when I'm deep into kind of what feels sometimes like nowhere, I kind of just start to get a spark. Right. Or something comes, or I think of something, and I, the words just start to flow. And then once I call it flow, Shonda calls it hum. Mm. But then once I'm there, it just kind of just, just things just start to happen. Right. And then I try and stay in that space for as long as I possibly can, but often it's not as long as I would like. <laughs> but that really touched me because also at the start of the section that I wrote, Chanda talked about how Grey's Anatomy was her first real job in television. And firsts are amazing and terrifying. <laughs> and so well put. They're just, <laughs> and just because you've got something doesn't mean you know how to do it. And I felt that way with my book deal. And I know I've asked you and I've asked other authors, how do you do what you do? And everyone, of course, has a different perspective. And like Shonda says, every TV show is different and every book is different and every writer is different. Um, but the parameters she's working in within are still the same, those eight days. And it made me realize, oh, my goodness, if I had to do a chapter in eight days, oh, boy, all bets were off. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> if she can do a show in eight days, I can do what I need to do. Nice. How do you, um, I mean, it's interesting, Octavia, because I can project onto you what I think probably a lot of people project onto Shonda, because from where I sit, currently in Australia, but normally on the East Coast in Toronto, and I look over to LA, I go, right, this is a really smart, sassy woman of color who has taken the leap from England to LA and is making it in LA, the city that's hard to make it in. I mean, LA is just a, is a graveyard of people who have arrived to try and make it. And she's got herself a book deal and she's got herself a thriving coaching company. And she's running a, she's found a partnership with Harvard Business Review and, and doing a podcast. So from the outside, I look in and I just go, wow, this woman has her stuff together and she's relentless and she's efficient and she's confident and she's flawless. It's amazing. Um, my guess is it's slightly different on the inside. I wonder how you manage your own, let's call it vulnerability or lack of confidence when you're starting something for the first time. What are, what are the ways that you manage yourself through that, that tough getting the flywheel spinning moments? Yeah, it's it's so hard, Michael. And, you know, I really appreciated Shonda sharing how she does it, because while there were some parallels, there were also things that I'm like, oh, my goodness, you, you just don't realize what someone is going through in that moment. And so for me, that tendency to hide that she talked about, oh, my gosh, absolutely. And that's been easy to do in COVID. So that's, mm. <laughs> that's definitely been easier. It's easier to hide because we're all, you know, yeah. in completely different circumstances and not not as connected as we used to be. Um, there's that, whilst I know as a coach, all of the best practices yeah. and all of the things you should do, 
it's super hard to apply to yourself. And so the thing that works for me is when I'm facing something really scary is I have to really minimize the distractions. I have to, first of all, lean into it and just say yes, even though everything's screaming, no, 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 (laughs) no. So lean into it, minimize the distractions and give myself grace because getting things right the first time just isn't going to happen. You know, that first draft that I write is always horrible. So is the second and the third and the fourth. <laughs> but totally. it's always horrible. And then when you look back with perspective, it's taken me now that I'm many, many months into writing my book to learn how to do some of my best work and just what environment I need to be in to support that okay. and how to structure my day and how to approach it and how to give myself grace and how to know when to switch gears and how to know that it's not a switch that I can just turn on when I need to and turn off. It doesn't work that way. But on the flip side, there are things that do come easily to me. Right. And those are the things that I need to lean into when I'm struggling with the things that are not. That's interesting. Tell me what it means to you to give yourself grace. That's a, you know, that's a resonant phrase. But it's also a bit ambiguous. So I'm curious to know what it means to you and how you you bring that practice into your kind of self-care and your also self-management. Yeah, I pretty much ditch what conventional productivity might be. I tried to be more productive and more everything, especially as my schedule was changing with Mm. my book and the show I was doing and all the other commitments that I had running simultaneously and it just didn't work. So for me, giving myself grace was if I needed time, making the time for what mattered the most, not just an hour, days if needed. Make the time. Two Tuesdays ago, I took an entire day off and just read. Oh, beautiful. Oh, it was. It was so beautiful. I haven't done that in a while. (laughs) It was absolutely beautiful. I was like, why do I not do this more often? And then there's also... Something Shonda also touches on in other sections of this book is just the more successful she became, the more unhappy she was. Mm. And it wasn't that she wasn't proud of the work. She was. But she couldn't reconcile some of the attention and what came with it and the expectations. And also as a black woman, that expectation to be a role model when she's just, I'm a writer. Right. This is who I am. This is what I do. So I think I've had to sometimes relinquish even when you get validation it's fantastic of course but that's for me that often comes so far after when the work was done or when you were questioning yourself or thinking what am I doing why am I doing this I don't know how to do this I made this mistake and then working through that process is a silent solo thing no one sees that stuff Right. And I give, I give myself grace by when I've worked through those things, actually pausing and recognizing what I did in that moment and reflecting um, because the results are months or ages yeah. down the line. No one right. will know or see until sometimes a year later what you've been busy doing. <laughs> exactly. It's like book writing. It's like the pain is now. The book is a year away. Um, <laughs> the pain is now. Hey, Octavia, you, you mentioned you reflected on Shonda saying, you know, as a woman of color, the validation was something to, to uh, ambiguous, let's call it that, to, to sit with. 
know, you're a woman of color as well. I'm curious to know how validation works or lands for you. You know, I'm a white straight guy, so I just kind of swagger around going, it's, it's my, it's my birthright to be validated. So bring it on. Um, and you know, that, that, means I don't fully understand how validation lands with, with, um, with you, with let's call you as a, as a, a, a particular woman of color and whether it lands differently yeah. perhaps from how you might imagine it lands for me. Yeah. It's, it's almost, and this is from my personal perspective. Mm. It's almost sometimes like a double-edged sword. Right. So while uh, I recognize how important it is because of opportunity gaps and systemic racism and challenges that are in the infrastructure aside from anyone's own personal journey yeah. that they have to make and my own personal journey that I've had to make. It's also a double-edged sword because it underscores that what it's like to be the first or the only in whatever it is that you're doing and the responsibility that goes with that um, because what you want is for it that you're not the first or the only that there's so many <laughs> right. and that it's fantastic but it's sadly not that and so it becomes bittersweet it becomes bittersweet and it's easy to then also feel great but why should it have been me why couldn't it have been someone else and someone before me or someone else and and i can guarantee as i'm sure you do too know so many incredibly talented people right and some people get recognition and some people don't some people get opportunities and some people don't it's not a reflection on ability or talent yeah. there's so much that goes into it and so it becomes this really double-edged sword and success is really subjective mm. It really is. Um, and so the things that I'm proudest of aren't necessarily the things that I sometimes get recognized for or asked about. Um, so it, yeah, it's, it's bittersweet. It's really powerful to hear that. Um, you know, for me, I, I can imagine they, there's a thrill if I'm the first at something because I'm like, yes, I've, I've done that. I'm not sure what that's ever happened, but you know, I, I, I can imagine that that would be motivating for me. Whereas what I hear you saying is what I'd like to be is just the latest, <laughs> not the first, but just the latest person who looks like me, who's achieved this particular milestone and the burden of being the first adds weight rather than lightens it. Yeah. And so I often have a heavy, it's, I love seeing women of color doing incredible things. I love watching Shonda from a distance and I love what, but then I also have some weight in my heart because I know also what, not only what it must take to get there, but what it's like to be there. And then right. what it must be like to maintain that. It's just a lot. You have to be flawless. Nobody mm. is flawless. Um, and so, it's bittersweet and th there's no way to reconcile it, I guess. Other than that, that's, yeah, bittersweet. So Octavia, how do you figure out what success means to you? Because there is a way, you know, where there's a lot of societal pressure to chase the, the baubles and the trophies and the medals and the rankings and whatever else. Um, 
but you hinted that you've you spent time kind of trying to get grounded on what success actually means to you. I'm curious to know how you how you find that kind of groundedness and wisdom. Yes, success to me means if I can look at what I'm about to do in that my day and be really excited about what's on my calendar, and that I have space somewhere within my week to really do what I have determined is my most important work in that period of time or that moment. Right. And it took me a long time to be able to have that ability to do that. Um, and I didn't realize I could make that change. But once I did make that change, oh my goodness, that to me was everything. And then of course in COVID, right. what success means is completely different as well than maybe just I think a year ago. Right. What how we were structuring our lives and things and the things that we took for granted. And right now success for me is my daughter's being able to go to school two days a week. I totally get that. <laughs> and if you'd have told me that 13 months ago, <laughs> I'd have been like, wait, what? What are you talking about? Days? Yeah. Octavia, your, your your new book that you're writing at the moment, I know it's not finished, you're in the middle of it, is um, a guide for underrepresented women. Um, yes. What's the bridge between Shonda's work, between your life experience, and what you're hoping to teach the people who might read this book? Yeah, so when I look at people like Shonda, who are at the top of their field, it just of course inspires me even though I'm not a television writer or producing shows and I want to be able to help women do their best work mm. and underrepresented women we're the most underrepresented group in the corporate pipeline um, tomorrow is equal payday and we earn stati statistically less um, compared mm. to white women and so we can't fix alone all of the challenges and systemic issues that there are that have created this environment. Mm. But the one thing we can do is understand our worth and what we want to pursue and also how we bounce back from no's or challenges or all of the things that we face in our career. Now, as a career coach, I get to do that one-on-one -on -one with professionals mm. but most people don't have access to coaching right even if they knew that it could be a resource that would benefit them coaching is expensive yeah you have to have an employer that will support you or you have to have enough income to be able to make that investment in yourself right and if you don't have either one of those two things you're not going to be able to work with a coach one-to-one -one. and so it was really important to me to create a book for someone who may not get to work with someone one-to-one, -one, but mm. really needs support in that moment because they're, you know, bouncing back from being passed over from a promotion. Yeah. Or they have what Shonda talks about how she was also told the same thing I was told when I was growing up about how I'd have to work twice as hard. She works right. slightly differently in her book. And I just took that as a fact. That was what I was told growing up. And so I, I tried my best to do that. I wasn't good at everything, but I tried my best to work twice. But then I came a point when I realized that wasn't enough. 
it wasn't enough just to work twice as hard. It was also about having that resilience and that strength to kind of keep pushing and trying and pick yourself up and keep having conversations and tr striving to build networks where you have none. Um, and so many other things that went into it, not just working twice as hard. And so when she said that in the middle of her book, I was like, oh, here I <laughs> was raised 5,000 miles away and told the same yeah. thing too. Yeah. And so there were common threads no matter where you are and no matter what you're doing. And I just want to be able to help people do their best work and also bounce back in those times that people don't see, the times that come before you you hit that goal or you hit that milestone or you have that success that you sure. can share. So both allowing people to do their best work and allowing to people to bounce back from the, the you know, the barriers that systemically there for, for people of color, women of color. Um, and, and, you know, let's face it, pretty much anybody who doesn't hold the cards that I hold, you know, white, straight, male, cis, all of that. Um, and you mentioned a few times about valuing themselves, valuing, understanding their worth and valuing that. What's the work you've done around that? I mean, you, it sounds like you've gone through that process of being able to look at yourself and go, I understand what I'm worth. How did you figure that out? And then how are you helping other people figure that out and kind of connect to it themselves? Yeah. For me, myself, it's personally less about the, the big things, the the book deal or the, the, the contract that I'm working at, at my coaching company. It's about the, the mini hurdles that I've overcome on the way. And the way that I mm. try and keep track of those is I keep a photo journal every year and I save the photos of the things that remind me of the stuff, the small stuff. And I reflect on those often, often because it's, our minds can work in funny ways. And often when we've done something, we then are on to the next, like we're really thinking about the next thing because that's how we survive. That's how we thrive. We've got to keep moving forward. And I, I lose track very quickly otherwise. So my photo journal brings me right back. And I that's often lovely. just sit and I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, I have these secret Pinterest boards and I just save <laughs> everything there. And then I also, Curious. I mean, yeah. I, I love to write. And so... I, I'm not so good at journaling frequently because I write so much in my day, but I do drop roughly every few days just a couple of bullets down about stuff that made me smile yeah, and stuff that I kind of worked through or stuff that just was great. And small things, but they're things that really matter to me. Yeah. And they're the things that are the building blocks because everything's a step, everything. And you know, I often equate what I'm trying to do sometimes like putting a puzzle together and not having the picture and not, not knowing quite which piece goes and things aren't always right. fitting. And then you, you get into it like, oh, I'm there. And then all of a sudden you lose a piece and you're scrambling. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So for every success that people see me doing, there's been like 10 things that have gone sideways. Exactly. And so it's about recognizing that those 10 things were actually really important because I was trying and I was getting it a bit wrong or it didn't quite go the way I wanted it to. But yeah. if I pick myself up and just dust myself off a little bit and give myself some grace and yes. keep trying, then we'll see what happens. <laughs> Octavia, we're, we're almost at the end of the conversation. Um, 
I have a question that I love asking. I, I ask it um, with my direct reports in particular, people I'm working with, because mm. I don't want to leave a conversation with things um, unsaid that they've been wanting to say. Mm -hmm. So the, the question I've got, and it may not even, you may not even have an answer and that's totally fine. But here's the question. What needs to be said that hasn't yet been said in this conversation? Um, I think always trust your gut, even if you don't know what that will mean for you or where that will take you. Um, because how something feels is how it feels. Nice. Um, and, you know, it just, that could apply to whether you're tired and you're trying to push through and do something called something much bigger and more profound. So even though I was nervous about doing this interview, I trusted my gut and was like, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I got to so do it. You did. I'm so glad you did. <laughs> What really struck me in this conversation with Octavia, well, first of all, is I find her extremely inspiring. You know, she's she's significantly younger than I am, but I'm kind of wanting to be her when I grow up. Um, but it's that story, that insight she had about how do you know your worth and the disciplines and the practice she had to remind herself of that. Particularly, you know, as she said, as a, a woman of color, you kind of have to work twice as hard to get, you know, just noticed. So two things strike me in this. The first is it's really helpful to understand the voices outside you that are telling you what you're worth. And I think it's important to understand that no matter where you sit, where you stand. And I think this is where a conversation around privilege comes into it. If you're privileged, like I am, I hold many of those privilege cards, white, straight, heterosexual, tall, English speaking, the list goes on. I have lots of, of external voices of affirmation. Um, and they're not even voices. They're just the way the world around me looks like me and confirms that I, I should be here. It is helpful for me to know that that's not just natural. That's actually a thing. That's a constructed thing. And I'm deaf and I'm blind to some of the ways that that is just conveniently self-reinforcing. I think if you have a different hand of cards than I have, it's helpful for you to understand the voices you're hearing, just as Octavia made explicit for her, and to understand that they're just external voices. And I don't mean just meaning to trivialize them. I mean to say that they're not natural, they're not set, they're actually cultural. They actually influence how you see yourself. I think once you see those external voices, you're able to root yourself in a sense of your own worth, your own value. I know for me, I aspire to a tension between confidence and humility. I, I, I really work on my own sense of self-confidence. I think about it. I find ways to affirm myself. Um, those of you who get my newsletters or get emails from me know that I sign off my email saying, you're awesome and you're doing great. And I write that for people to read, but I write it for myself to read. So I see it on a daily basis. And I, I believe that I'm awesome and I'm doing great. But it's also a question about humility. It's about understanding how I stand in the world. It's understanding that <laughs> I'm not all that I make out that I could be or, or should be. I'm, I'm, I'm very conscious of my flaws and my humanity <laughs> and my limitations. And of course, 
this call, understand your worth, lands differently from where you stand in that that privileged spectrum. It's for me, I think, a question of shedding some arrogance. For others, it's a question of stepping into their confidence. And this is what I'm reflecting on, having had that conversation with Octavia, a conversation I I loved, a conversation I really enjoyed. Um, perhaps you'd be interested in finding out more about Octavia. Well, look, you can certainly find her on all the socials. It's Octavia Gorodema. So I'll spell that for you. O-C-T-A-V-I-A-G-O-R-E-D-E-M-A. And she's on that in Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, her website is 2010agency.com. 2010agency.com. And you'll want to keep an eye out for her book when it comes out, I think, early 2022. And thank you for listening to this podcast, Two Pages with MBS. If you're enjoying it, and I really hope you are, I hope you'll consider joining our free community, The Duke Humphreys. I love the name of this. It makes me smile every time I say it. It's named after my favorite little library in Oxford. It's a library within a library, a library within the Bodleian. And it was where the rarest and the most extraordinary books were kept. You, you kind of had to get a special pass to go into the Duke Humphreys. And so too with us, even though the membership is totally free, it's a special community on the other side. I hope you'll join us because you'll find transcripts, you'll find unreleased episodes and more. And you'll find that there at mbs.works podcast. And you know, this podcast grows best by word of mouth. So if my conversation with Octavia has struck a chord with you, if you think you'd like people who have ambition, who are willing to go after that worthy goal, who have practices around finding and clarifying and reinforcing their sense of worth so they can nurture their ambition, I hope you'll pass along this episode so other people get to hear Octavia's wisdom as well. More subscribers, of course, means I have a better chance of landing other amazing guests that you'd like to hear and certainly I'd like to talk to. And of course, as always, a rating and a review on your podcast app of choice is deeply appreciated. You're awesome. You're doing great. <laughs>